everybody, welcome to the Vox Podcast. We're so glad that you are here and tuning in. And uh, I'm here with my friend, Kevin Number 2. I want to abbreviate Kevin Number 2 as K2. Is that okay? No. <laughs> Why not? I like I it. like Kevin Number 2. But okay, but Kevin Number 2. I was it was becoming endearing to me. Okay. And then Kevin just Number communicated Kevin Number 2, you shall you, be. You, I mean, you're going to call me whatever you want, so that's I fine. may slip K2 in just because it's like a summit. It is like, like a summit. A, a, a mountaintop peak. Um, so we've got a lot, Kevin, number two. We've all got right. a lot to deal with today. A lot to do. First of all, I need a um, an update on uh, Fernando's blend. <sighs> well, Fernando uh, yes. probably has a great blend for some other company. Okay, what's ours? Ours are ours. Well, ours is Ar- Armando. Speaking. Yeah, Armando, not Fernando. Okay, Armando's, Armando's blend. blend. That's very exciting. It's very exciting. And how's it doing? I'm so glad. It's, it is Has probably, it won any awards? No. Armando's blend's more of like your, your just your everyday house main awesome blend of coffee that you so drink. Folgers. No. Way, <laughs> way better than Folgers. Um, but uh, no, no awards for, I've tried, for that one. Buddy, I have tried to like coffee. I've put chocolate in it. I've put... Yeah, and, and the only coffee I like is coffee that doesn't taste like coffee. So is that is that possible? Um, well, maybe if you tried to put Coors Light in it, maybe, oh, maybe since you love about. that, if you put one thing that you love and okay. one thing you hate, right. maybe it would take it to like a, a, a medium, <laughs> like a median. It's like, yeah, it's like the law of averages, right? Oh, Kevin. So, um, so we've got, we've, we get so much email. It's fantastic. So, so Ben, longtime listener living in Southern California says, bro, stop treating Kevin like a second class citizen and get him a real mic. I love you, Ben. Uh, I'm sure the Patreon struggle is Ben. 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 Oh, I'm sure the guy. Patreon struggle is real, but come on, man. True story. Yeah, that's a good, and he says signed Vox lover, not a hater. Um, I totally agree. It, it's weird because when we test the sound here onto our zo- little Zoom device and then play it back, it sounds it sounds absolutely fine. But when we get the podcast back, you sound really muffled. So, uh, Kevin is a bit of a mic expert. Yeah, I know everything about all mics. Well, hopefully not everything about all of them. But expert. Um, Reality uh, is, Mike has a really nice mic. It's a four hundred dollars <laughs> mic, and then he gives me the mic that he found in his sock drawer after he moved. It was not moved. a sock drawer. It was well, Andy. It was something he picked up at a garage sale. And no, said, Kevin, that's not true. So Andy put ben, his whole big package real. together for me to move. So anyway, but we are making some some changes. We're gonna get another mic. We'll make this we work. Are? Like. Another another Mike Erie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we could definitely yeah, use a new mic. mic in that. In We're gonna that get this right. Too. Thanks, Ben, for the 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 heads up though. All right, uh, this is from Joel. Joel, he starts by just thanking us for the podcast. I must admit, when I heard the term "deconstructed Christian," my walls went up quickly as I did not want any part of some crazy new theology. And certainly, there is some crazy theology in this whole big, you know, deconstruction sort of conversation. Right. But as I try my best to live by the scripture and test everything and take what is good, that's a verse from uh, 1 Thessalonians. I listen to your podcast. I'm so glad I did. I've been encouraged, challenged. Uh, One question I do have is that I've struggled. I've struggled answering uh, this question. How does holiness and freedom have a healthy balance as a Christian? 
Um, the reason I've struggled with this is because I've seen both spectrums on this question. I've seen freedom that doesn't look like people following Jesus, but I've also seen a holiness that feels like prison and rulemaking and love your thoughts. And so, uh, just so you know, uh, this is a, this has been like a, a super long conversation in Christian circles, at least since I've been kind of paying attention to uh, theology and practice. And, it, and, it, and it's the idea of, uh, on the one hand, we live in the new covenant under grace. Uh, the old covenant too was grace, but that's a different story for a different day. Uh, and and we're, we're forgiven for anything we have done or will do. The, Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus was once and for all. And so we have, according to Paul, freedom in Christ. And so that means we can kind of do anything, right? I mean, we're free in Christ to drink. We're free in Christ to gamble. We're free in Christ. To, I mean, it's not, if it's not listed specifically as sin, right? There's this discernment now and, 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 you know, conscience, conscience, uh, the role of conscience in our discerning, uh, about what we can participate in, you know, can we, how much, how many beers can you drink? And I mean, you know, how far is too far when it comes to physical intimacy or whatever it is. Um, and so there's, there's one aspect of the Christian community that very much focuses on the, on the grace that we have and the freedom we have in Christ. And then there's another part of, um, of the, the Christian subculture my, of my tribe that very much emphasizes something called holiness, which they define as purity, moral purity. And so hol the holiness traditions of, of you know, my tribe are very much focused on what you should not do. So you should not gamble. I mean, they, and they they're at there and they're singing these things and they will tie biblical principles to them. You should not gamble. Um, some you will, should not watch R-rated movies. Um, you should not dance uh, in some older expressions of this. And so, so the fundamentally the conflict is between, uh, and what he's asking about is, listen, I've, I've seen pre I've, I've seen people quote their freedom in Christ, but it doesn't look like they're, they're doing that in a Jesus honoring way. And I've also seen people, but pull the Pharisee card of just adding a bunch of rules where, you know, scripture is either silent or gray, um, and, you know, call people to that. And and so where where do we where do we find ourselves on that continuum? Does that make sense? Makes sense. So so I, I think fundamentally both traditions misunderstand um, what holiness is, and and the other tradition, the other side misunderstands what freedom is. So for Paul, freedom is freedom from something, but it's also freedom for something or freedom to something, right? You're so he will say in Galatians like. Um, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free, but do not use your freedom uh, to cause others to stumble, right? So, um, or or he will, and, and Jesus will, you know, talk similarly that that holiness, that the goal of a Jesus follower isn't a, a law abiding and rule following. It's actually something that's called circumcision of the heart, which is um, which is a transformation of the heart. And so, on the one hand. Um, people can and can use freedom as an excuse, and on the other, people can use holiness as an excuse, and 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 they both they both stumble at precisely the same point. Neither of them is the goal; they're both means to ends, the same end. They're not they're 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 not to be things in and of themselves. So just walk around saying, "Hey, I'm free in Christ; I can do whatever I want." 
is missing the point of the freedom. And to say, well, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a sincere Christ follower because, you know, I don't do this, this, and this, and this is missing the point of not doing this, this, and this, and this, right? Right. So, so for for Christ followers, the the image isn't freedom or holiness. Um, obviously, the ideal is love, love of God and love of neighbor. Now, obviously, love cannot be had in an environment without freedom. And it's not just any kind of love, it's Christ-like love. So the freedom we're talking about leads us to Christ-like love, and the holiness we're talking about is Christ-shaped love. But the point is that rules aren't going to get you there, neither is some abstract appeal to freedom, but it's the it's the dedicated pursuit of in, in intentional ways of opening yourself up to God's grace in ways that transform us to become more and more like him. So whether I choose to gamble or not isn't the biggest issue in my life, right? I'm not having theological debates about which is gambling wrong or right. To me, I'm actually living and relating to Jesus in an entirely different manner where I become the kind of person um, that that doesn't you know start quibbling over certain kind of behaviors, but rather I become the kind of person that lives according to wisdom, um, and uh, the transformed conscience thou that that the Holy Spirit is birthed within me. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Very. That was, Why? That was a hesitant yes. So so I would say neither of those if they're understood as ends in and of themselves, are helpful in, in, in producing what Jesus is looking for, right? Freedom, of course. So what's the answer, Mike? What's he looking for? Love. 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 True love. No, I think, I think that's, that, you know, that's the, but, but that's see, the point, right? Like what's... Let me take one more swing at this. Yeah. Freedom is required to love, right? Uh, and so on the freedom side, you're free... And you set aside your freedom out of love for people who are in different places theologically. Um, and God's, God's intention um, is not to suffocate you with a bunch of external things. It is that, that freedom becomes the context in which you are transformed into Jesus' likeness. It's not just, it's not just this abstract thing. And that, and that is also the problem on the holiness side. Listen, if you want to be holy, very simple how to be holy. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Be transformed into the image of Jesus. Jesus was holy. You shall be holy. Holiness is much bigger than just not doing certain external behaviors. And how do we know what Jesus was like? Oh, my goodness. Very simple. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, right? Paul Perfect. just lists his DNA. Jesus' DNA is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And I've been into Christian bookstores where that's literally, they sell fruit of the spirit potpourri, which is about the dumbest thing ever. Is that what you're wearing? Because it smells goofy in here. Does it really? No, I just wanted, <laughs> wanted, to, no, tie, I'm, wanted I'm not, to tie that in. No, I'm not wearing. Fruit of the spirit. I, I am wearing clothes, which uh, you should be grateful for. Thank you. Um, and uh, I am uh, not wearing any fruit of the spirit. No, I think that was perfect though, that Jesus DNA, like to connect those two makes it so simple. Yeah. If the, if, in if the in word, word, in understanding. If the work of the Holy Spirit is to transform us into Jesus likeness, what's Jesus likeness? Yeah. And well, this is what he's like. Exactly. Boom. So, so on, on both sides, the big point is neither freedom is an end of itself, nor is holiness an end of itself. Those are, those are the contexts and environments 
under which we um, work in the process of partnering with God for our own transformation. But it's not transformation into a new me. It's transformation into Jesus through me and in me. So there's, so if, it, if you're not being, if it's not directed towards Christ, it's not, it's not discipleship. It's not following Christ. It's not whatever. All right. So great question. Great question. Joel, well done. All right. Oh, my, from my buddy, Will Anderson. So Will is a very gifted young man. Who his subject is John Piper? Say what? Um, he said my subject line was essentially clickbait, haha. Because we have at times um, disagreed with the good Reverend Piper. We as in as in Mike. Yes, exactly. Michael. Right. Yes. Theory. Yes. Um, something this podcast embodies. I hope. I hope. And and we haven't done it perfectly because we've we've certainly missed on some things. Uh, is how to join hands with those we disagree with. So, you know, we've had people on that are very controversial and we and and our point is, hey, uh, test everything, hold on to the to the good, right? I mean, there's right. there's some great stuff out there. I'd love to hear you interact with something John Piper has said or written that you resonate with or find helpful. In our the- an era of theological tribalism, I find myself frustrated with my own reluctance to come as- alongside the other guys. Right. I think that's really phenomenal. So the question, uh, say that again, the question is fine. What do you agree with John Piper on? Yeah, so find something and interact with it that you that you agree with John Piper on. Because we've whenever we've right. talked about Piper, we have been critical universally. So his point is, hey, because one of the things I've said in politics is you have more in common with a Christ follower who was of the, a different political party than you than you do with somebody who's not a Christ follower who is of the same political party as you, right? So, so let's yeah. say you're a Obama-loving Democrat, and here's your Trump-loving Republican brother-in-law, and you're both followers of Jesus, and you're both making political decisions uh, because of your following Jesus. Um, scripturally, you have way more in common with each other than you do um, even if you have your, you know, uh, a fellow Democrat who feels just as deeply and passionately about political issues as Absolutely. you do, but they're not a follower of Christ. So, and, and, and I think people really disagree with that because <laughs> it doesn't feel that way. Right. I mean, how can you follow Jesus and hold this political view? How can you follow Jesus and support this and both sides think that both same sides. thing coming at each other. So, so we've been trying to advocate. Yeah. Okay. So what's peacemaking look like in this sort of world? Now, I think Will's saying, hey, man, let's drink some of your own Kool-Aid. And, um, you know, you've only taken shots at at things that Piper and his organization have done. Why don't you find something that you you agree with? Yeah. So I went on to DesiringGod.org. Because you couldn't come up with something on the top off the top of your head. Well, no, I can come up with <laughs> okay. But he was saying something that, that sorry that was, has written. That was my attempt to uh, uh, that throw a you joke. resonate with. No, no, but, but seriously, I, like a like a recent blog post or, yeah, or something yeah. like that. Something Absolutely. maybe even controversial. Because I would say the same thing. Piper and I have more in common than we do differences. Absolutely. And he would think I'm a false teacher in some ways, and I would think he is wrong in some ways. And we would have very robust conversations that would leave us uh, pretty much dissatisfied with what the other people, the, what the other person is thinking. Right. But on the fundamental stuff, oh my goodness, of course we we would right. agree. So I just pulled up a random article. So okay. He has these. Right. 
he has these um, ask John, ask Pastor John uh, questions. Okay. So, so one, and this was just one that was in the last month. I just pulled one up randomly. How to raise children in a pornographic culture. And then this one happens to be relevant because I have children and our culture is indeed. And you have a culture? And there is a culture. Perfect. So, um, so uh, a woman named Molly asks Pastor John, uh, what is the best way to prepare our children to go out into their own pornified culture? I have two young boys. Uh, I've seen so many godly men fall to this. Um, so what, what can I do? And, and he responds. I'm not going to read every bit of this. But the first thing um, he says is, I doubt I have any greater wisdom than Molly and her husband do. But I'll give you a list of things that you can at least compare your list with. Um, and then he says this, and I, and I would absolutely agree. He says, I want to make clear that when you make a list like this, each one of these is a reality. It's a massive reality. It's not just, oh, here's another thing on the list. I hope uh, we're all aware that even though I'll go through these pretty quickly, every one of them is a work of the spirit that needs our heart and agree with this. There's no guarantee that our children will turn out to be believers and walk in the ways we want them to, right? My goal isn't to create a robot. Um, and uh, as much as I love Nate, Hannah, and Seth, um, and want them to, to the, be followers of Jesus because I think Jesus is beautiful, uh, I don't control that. And my approval and love for them cannot be dependent upon that. So, um, so he goes on and he gives 11 strategies. And, uh, and again, I'm, I'm glancing through them right now. Children need a humble heart in order to comply with mom and dad and with Scripture. So uh, pray earnestly that they would be humble. And I love that word. Yes, of course we wouldn't want children. We would want children to be humble. And we don't mean by humble, like self-devaluing. We want them to, uh, to be people that believe that they are gifted and believe that, um, that there are things that are possible for them. Uh, but I love the idea that, that they also have come to realize they're not the center of the universe, which is you know one of the ways humility manifests itself. So I think that's, I think that's awesome. Number two, seek to be utterly authentic in your own love for Christ, your own joy in him, and your own delight in his ways. You can't force upon a child satisfaction in God when it does not look like uh, mom and dad are experiencing that same satisfaction, which is so true. Whenever we want to correct another person, you always start with yourself, always, right? You're the biggest sinner in the room. So yes, um, uh, you know, when I want to talk to my son about pornography, I have to immediately deal with the fact that that's been an issue for me. And in, in, and in some ways, I have loads of insight because of that. Like, here's, here's what not to do. But in other ways, um, what I can't be, he needs somebody who is a, uh, a guide who is farther down the path than he is. He doesn't need a heavy-handed uh, rule maker. Nor does he need just a friend who just says, yeah, we all struggle and that's all it is. There's this combo that you have to find, right? Where you're still a parent, but you're, but you're, you're fighting together. And um, so I love that. You, you seek to be utterly authentic in your own journey. Perfect. Number three, saturate your family with scripture. Talk about it morning, noon, and night. I hear that and I totally agree. And we, I think we all fail. We all fail at this. I the other day I was doing, I was trying family devotions and we've tried a thousand different ways to do this. And I got so annoyed <laughs> that I slammed the Bible shut and just pushed the chair. Do in, it. You, you walked out. Whoa, whoa. 
You asserted your authority and your and your guide, your guide that, ability. Listen, that is a great way to to how, you know, help your people. How, how big was the Bible? How thick was it? Oh, was it, it big? It was a big one, man. If big yeah, one. if I'm leading family devotions, we got you're, a family you're Bible. Out, dude. You're pulling out the big. But but how funny, right? I mean, it just uh, it was just so funny. My daughter was half asleep and. <laughs> and Seth is, you know, just going crazy. So, so this group just didn't want to listen to you anymore, huh? Yeah, and, and and but but unlike most places where I speak and that happens, th- here I could walk out, and so so I slam my Bible and walk out. I think I think you should do this next time you're speaking and it actually so, happens. You just walk out. All right, so, I'm out of here. So totally highlight in the Bible the superior joy that comes from knowing Christ, rather than all the forms of sin they might pursue. Now, I wouldn't say it this way, but I totally yeah. agree. It's like dieting, right? The goal is to like healthy food and want healthy food. The goal isn't just to avoid bad food. Right. Right. At some point, I want my wanter to change. And so I love that. Tell stories again and again, number five, about young people who did amazing sacrificial things. So don't just drench them in celebrity culture, drench them in the in the fact that God has used young people all throughout. That's good. Uh, salvation history. Uh, don't assume that all is well in their hearts. I agree, I agree with that. Like never, I never ask them questions that allow one word answers. Hey, how are you doing? How was school? Good, good. No, never. Tell me about what happened at school today. What's what are what are two things that happened that were really good? What's one thing that happened that it was like, eh, I wasn't really stoked on that. And and we've just we've done this with them forever. And uh about once or twice a month, we go out either to breakfast or something, and we have the deep talk. Now, I'm always doing this when we're playing cards or we're playing Uno or we're doing a game together. Like, they're never just going to look, sit, and want to talk to you. So we we play something. And then I'll just start, you know, hey, how's this? How are you feeling about this? How are you feeling about this? And invariably, we get into incredible stuff. Like, I got into stuff with my sweet daughter about how um, how how easy it is to manipulate uh, some things. And to just shade the truth a little bit in certain environments to make people think a certain way. And I mean, it was a phenomenal conversation. But I but I wouldn't have gotten in there without this, don't assume that everything's okay when they just say the word good. Right. Right? So anyway, the, the big point that, and the reason I wanted Will to address it is, first of all, thank you for calling me out on my own... Uh, hypocrisy in the sense of I've not done anything to affirm uh, the reformed movement or some of the people we've we've taken shots at in, in ways that I've tried to do that in other situations. So totally, I love that. Thank you. This was great for me to go on the website and then just pull up an article and say, oh yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Well, I think it's, it's, it's easy too, because it's uh, living life day to day, Mike yeah. Erie, Kevin, number two together, we make a lot of assumptions about each other, which are which are good. Like we we have a, a a basis of well, this is what if Piper were in the room, these are all of the things that we already know that we'd agree on, yeah. And we're debating and talking about things that that we that don't. Are intramural, but it doesn't house. mean that that's everything, right? That just means it's, it's actually probably a very small spectrum, but there are. A lot of them are hot button topics oh, yeah. in culture, yeah. but as far as our salvation and, and those the, the the rocks of faith, we would <laughs> for the most part. I don't know. I, I think they may question my salvation. Well, I'm not sure. I saw. Why did you just say that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe they would. Because well, no, just because. But now you're taking shots. I, okay, I'm sorry. Stop. Dang it. I'm sorry, Will. I tried. All right. So anyway, that was really helpful. 
and and Absolutely. very practical. Like right. one of the things I love as I was looking around the Desiring God side is it's very very practical. Like mm-hmm. there's there there's big big theology issues. They are publishing stuff to help people in their yes in their walk with Jesus and their and their desire to become more like Him. Yep. All right. So uh, last question uh, for today: Nicole versus Betty. So this is back to the Me Too Kavanaugh conversation, and the reason I keep bringing these up is because they're just great points being made left and right everywhere. And uh, so remember, we had Nicole uh, Bromley on, who is a sexual assault survivor, was listening to the whole Supreme Court justice nomination thing through very specific eyes that and that she and many others were were being um, almost re-traumatized by some of what was being said about Dr. Ford and so on. And then Betty, our friend, came on and said, yeah, okay, but uh, do we really, I mean, people are capable of lying, and do we really just want to now say that the rule of our culture is we believe anybody who comes forward, even if they don't have any evidence? And so how does the church navigate those issues? Phenomenal. So this person writes in, and um, he says, uh, thank you for, uh, on behalf of pastors everywhere for wrestling with this topic, which, awesome. Um, one angle that I think would be appropriate to explore is the difference between private conversation and public conversation of particular cases. As a pastor, when someone shares with me a particular issue like abuse, my posture towards that person in private is open and accepting, believing their story just like Nicole, just like Nicole's mother did. This is where mercy plays a role and is the appropriate response every time for victims. If and when the accusation moves into the public sphere, however, evidence is required in order for justice to play its role. When Nicole broke the news to her mother that was in private, once it moved into a public, once it moved into public in seeking justice, that requires evidence. Both the Bible and Constitution demand this in the public sphere. So if a pastor needs to move from showing mercy to a victim in private to enacting justice in the congregation in public, two or three witnesses, again, uh, this is a a verse, um, have to provide evidence. Without the witnesses, justice cannot be served. Thus, when we listen to Nicole's story and applaud her mother for believing her, we have to understand that no evidence was required for mercy. Her mother was not being asked to make a judgment about justice, nor did she have the power or authority to do so. If she was in that position, evidence would have been required. This is why her situation is completely different than Ford versus Kavanaugh. Ford was making an accusation in public, not private. And she was not simply sharing so people would show her mercy. She was sharing to elicit a decision against him. When you do that and in the public sphere, evidence is required. Otherwise, justice cannot be served. If she is believed without evidence, a lynching is taking place, and that is not justice. So the truth is the American public has been placed in a very awkward position, wanting to show mercy to victims while requiring evidence if a judgment that is uh, of, of if a judgment is going to occur. And the way social media works today, those two things are not delineated very well. Yes, mercy, not a huge uh, value. Uh, it appears that those, if those who demand justice by way of evidence, it appears, and this is his final line that I thought was really interesting. It appears that those who demand justice by way of evidence are not being merciful, while those who are deemed merciful are failing to follow the rule of justice. Thus, we have the conflict. Does that make sense? Uh, he makes very, very clear. Is so, what he's writing. All right. So, what do you think of that? 
Oh, I'm not answering that. <laughs> <laughs> well, certainly this is the Mike Erie podcast. Well, well, certainly there seems to be there seems to be truth that um, in, in in private. Uh, I might have a different reaction than if if something is being taken to law enforcement. Um, so when he's when he's saying justice, I, I'm reading law enforcement first and foremost. Now we'll get to the Kavanaugh situation in just a second. So so absolutely, it seems to me that there's something there's something right, and there's something I might I might disagree with, and I haven't thought this through, so I don't really know. But on the one hand. Uh, I see the distinction, particularly as somebody who could be a, a mandated reporter, right? So if somebody comes to me and alleges abuse in my role as a pastor, I have to report that to the authorities, right? I'm mandated to do that. Um, but in private, I may have an absolute duty to show mercy, love, uh, believability. Um, but when it comes to law enforcement, I'm being interviewed by the police and they say, hey, is there any evidence for this? And I say, well, no, it's nothing except her testimony. Okay, well, that's that's a different standard of believability at that point, correct? Correct. So that seems to be true. the 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 thing I would push back on the couple of thoughts, and again, these aren't even, these are ill formed. One, how does that feel to the victim when privately you're "I believe you, I believe you," and then publicly you're saying "I only believe you if there's evidence"? I, I think that could be. I I think that could result in a lot of whiplash for for victims, and I think that would be very very confusing. That's a minor point. A bigger point seems to be. Character matters, and even if this was not a legal, like we're not we're not seeking justice in the law enforcement sense, she's not bringing a civil suit against him. It it, it does seem as if there there there's something higher than just well, I believe you in private and witnesses are in public. There seems to be some middle ground to say, well, but character matters, right? And if you have, I mean. Uh, does doesn't uh, even though even though our president he's not been accused, uh, but he's paid off people and and or he, he has been accused. He's not been indicted, I should say, of of sexual assault. We have you know we have like this recording of him, and we have this uh, you know him paying off porn stars. I mean, I would say even though there isn't a law that's broken there, there's something that speaks to his character. That is on evidence. And so we would want to know that, correct? Correct. And so when it comes to a Supreme Court justice, I I think I would want to know, even if the highest level of justice isn't involved, I would want to know if this were something that were true. And and certainly that we could be gullible and we have been played and that could all be naive and, you know, she was paid off and whatever. Or it could be that this is a really nefarious person. Uh, or it could be that he used to be that and it's different now. But what needed to happen um, t- couldn't by the nature of the case, which was that we would know the truth about, about how things went. So I totally get what you're saying. I don't know that it's that cut and dry because I can imagine scenarios where um, I would want to stand with the victim even in public, even if they didn't have evidence uh, because of the credibility of the person. Uh, I can imagine scenarios where I would want to seek justice um, or at least begin inquiry, even if there wasn't an initial evidence uh, for something. So I'm not sure. I, I totally get what you're saying, and I'm, my thoughts are ill-formed. Isn't that just the basis? Uh, was that the ill-formed thoughts? I, oh, that's, I just is that my normal you, baseline? Just, just, just trying to get back at you for all the, the Andy years. No! I think, I, think it's a, it's a, I think it's just a really tough... Uh, 
it's so tough for all of us to sit here from Columbus, Ohio, or Southern California, wherever you're at, see everything that the media is telling us and make a judgment call almost in a sense that like, well, this is the way it would happen in my church, or this is the way it would happen in my counselor's office. So therefore it's this, it's just, I think the two just are so, so different. Well, but that, but that place to, to his point, then in the public sphere, we need to demand witnesses. Right. And, and, and so the perception is that if you're demanding witness, you don't care about the victim. And if you care about the victim, you don't care about justice. And what we're trying to say is, well, Yes, that's how the thing's playing, but that's not actually true. That it is possible to exercise both. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but if you do it, it like it, it, kind of in the abrupt manner that's being at least you know hypothetically presented, I can imagine victims going, "Well, you said what, what you said privately was that you believe me." Right. Now and now you're saying now you're saying, "Well, we have to uh, two or three witnesses," and 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 absolutely that's a biblical teaching, no question about it. But I think there's some sort of gray area in there that the Ford Kavanaugh thing was spinning in where you go, ah, but character references that they matter. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And and of course, we would never pursue justice without evidence. But at the same time, isn't it possible to believe the victim publicly while uh, pursuing justice? Is it really this big of an either or, I guess is what I'm getting at. Right. All right, my brothers and sisters. Oh, it's a tough question. Tough questions. Great questions. You guys are amazing. Uh, Kevin's got to go. Where are you? Where are you going right now? Um, I'm going uh, to work. I'm going back to the office. <laughs> is what I'm going to go do. And what? What are you going to do at the office? Like what? What? Like I have no idea. What do you as a coffee sales rep? What's happening at the office that you've got to get back to? Well, I'm going to go. Sell you coffee? really that's what I do. I know, but like what's that look like? Is it it all, looks like uh calling calling my customers, seeing how they're doing, calling new people, see if they're interested in Armando or Fernando or whoever. So what's your opening line? Like if I'm if I'm if you're calling a new client, all right? Yeah. I used to do cold calling all the time as an investment banker. So you know it was hey, Ooh, this is Mike Geary from throw Bank out One, those, those, Bank those, One throw Securities. Out those big big names, big titles. Well, no, I'm just saying, I mean, I, that's part of the gig. So I love well, you know, it's so much it's so much easier now to to have so much more knowledge before you call somebody. Oh, that's true. So I'm never calling somebody having to gain that information because I already already know it because you're doing research through the internet, which oh. was which was invented a few years ago. <laughs> well after <laughs> well you were, after my cold calling <laughs> your cold calling days. <laughs> so oh, all right. So go try to find a, a need. You know, a problem. Yes, and coffee will solve it. Coffee solves everything. All right, get out of here, my friend. All Thank right. you. Thank you, Mike. Yeah, we're not ending the podcast, so I'm going to do a little wrap. Um, so, my brothers and sisters, uh, thank you for all of this great feedback. Um, man, and there's still a couple of huge questions we haven't gotten to. So, um, we really are, and uh, the the goal, of course, is never that you swallow what uh, we're saying. The goal is that you you come up with your own conclusions, right? Let each one be fully convinced in their own mind, Paul says, about a disagreement in the church. And so we want to be a place where all, all of those things can be worked through and aired in a, uh, a relatively gentle manner. So uh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you. And in these days, may he give you peace. Thank you, my friends. Thank you, my friends.